You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast with Phil Vestal and Aaron Vestal. And we are so glad to have you here with us today. Into the past episodes, we've talked about the meaning of Rua, and we've talked about the importance of making space for the Rua or the Holy Spirit in our lives. In today's episode, we want to talk to you about spiritual disciplines, and those are the practices that shape our lives in the Christian tradition, the different things that we've been taught over the over the centuries, yeah. millennia, almost 2,000 years, yeah. that you yeah. are yeah. able to partake in and practice that can help transform your soul and help you tap into the presence of the Holy Spirit. So some spiritual disciplines you have probably already been practicing, whether or not you even knew they were spiritual disciplines. So things like prayer, studying the scripture, spending time in community with other Christians and believers, doing service, those are all things that have been likely a part of your life that are considered spiritual disciplines. They shape your faith. They shape you from the inside out. Even celebration. Even celebration. And... Uh, some spiritual disciplines are going to be new to you that we'll, we will talk about and introduce and guide you through things that maybe you've not tried before, like meditation or Lectio Divina. Other forms of prayer, uh, fasting, silence, solitude, and beyond. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's, qu- it's quite an extensive umbrella that really covers a very diverse and creative set of opportunities you can tap into in your spiritual life and and the basic idea is it comes out of everything that we do shapes us all the time everything we participate in with our bodies with our minds in our lives everything is shaping us every story we engage in in our family we talk about how nothing is neutral that there's nothing that you do that isn't either positive for god or negative away from god you're helping you become more of who you want to be who God made you to be, or further away. I mean, this is what God laid out in Deuteronomy. He says, I'm setting before you life and death, right? Different ways that they were meant to live because every action led them either more into the life that they knew was full of joy and goodness or further away. And this is because God made us with bodies, right? God made us with good bodies. And and so therefore what we do with that body is going to shape us. Part of the problem is that over the last few hundred years, um, We've started focusing more and more as an entire human race, but especially kind of in the Western world, on the mind over the body. And this really kind of came out of the Enlightenment, which, you know, about 500 years ago or so, um, as science started to come in more and more, and objective truth became the standard by which everything was judged. It was, what can you prove objectively, right? What can you hypothesize about? What can go through the scientific method and be proven? What can you sort of logically come to a conclusion in in your mind? And then therefore, that is what's true. That's what's true. That's what matters the most. What can you sort of prove rationally, 
right? And so that's kind of how our world has developed since then. That's what they, uh, what people call modernity, right? We are modern people. We know objective truth through our mind. I mean, this is when Descartes started to say things like, I think, therefore I am. And he was trying to prove, you know, uh, his own existence and such and did it. How? Well, my mind. I know I'm a human being because I have a mind. And, and that was great. And it had its purpose. And it was helpful in some ways. But in other ways, humans started to become brains on sticks. But right? maybe I think we've taken it too far where perhaps before the mind wasn't as central to people's existence or way they considered each other or cared for each other. And now with the enlightenment and the idea of the brain, there there was this emphasis on proof and solidarity that you couldn't experience before and got away from some of the physical, spiritual Right. Practices. Would that be a good way to put yeah, it? Yeah, and I mean, and that was an important movement in human history. I mean, that's when technological innovation, you know, I mean, think about the things we wouldn't have without a scientific method. It's important we use our minds. I mean, I definitely come from more of an academic uh, direction. And so I love learning new things. I love my mind. That's a lot of where I spend my time is I in my mind. I appreciate modern medicine. <laughs> yes, And the absolutely. ways that we're able to maintain our health. And- right. And so the Enlightenment changed things in a very, very good way. But uh, like with anything, when we swing too far in one way and kind of lose the other parts of it, I think one of the negative sides is the practices behind things. The the heart, the bodily uh, the embodiment of our lives was somewhat forgotten. And I mean, this was actually an early heresy in the church known as Gnosticism, going back, you know, more than a thousand years before the Enlightenment, where some people started to believe that the best good was escaping from the body, that it was more mm. about um, becoming fully spiritual, that the earth was bad, that things of the, you know, the, the body was bad, you were trying to escape it, right? And that was deemed a heresy by the early church because they said, no, we are meant to be in bodies. But then after the Enlightenment, again, it's almost like Gnosticism has creeped back in in other, in other ways where in a normal church service, for example, the main focus is what we, we will we'll sing some, which is a really good embodied practice. And there's other embodied practices we do, like around communion and such. But then this massive portion of a normal church service, especially in the the Protestant tradition especially, is the sermon. And what do you do during a sermon? You are spoken to in your mind with the idea of we are going to give you the right beliefs, the right doctrine, and then you are going to go forth with that information, which I love a good sermon as much as the next guy. I get to preach almost every week. I love that. However, there's something missing in that. Mm -hmm. I really like Ruth Haley Barton talks about in her book, Sacred Rhythms, She mentions how in Matthew 22, verse 37, it talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And she points out that when we focus only on training our minds to grow in our faith, so we might focus on attending a good church service with a solid sermon, and there is a lot of good in a solid biblically-based sermon. Of course. So, you know, you're doing that. Maybe you're attending a Bible study or a Sunday school, and you maybe perhaps you listen to podcasts like this one that are, you know, training you. Which again, something we highly recommend. (laughs) Right, right. Absolutely. Stick with us. But that sometimes we often will prioritize our mind, and yet when, when we are taught by Christ, he puts the mind third. He encourages you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, then with all your soul, 
and then with all your mind. And when we think about that, how often are we perhaps not in touch with loving God with our heart or with our soul? And yeah, we're loving him with our mind. We're praying, we're doing scripture study, we're doing the right things, all good things. Those are spiritual disciplines in and of themselves as well. But without some other practices, our heart is still, our soul is still distanced from God or feeling apart from him. Or we're doing something like prayer, which actually has a very physical component to it. But, and this is something Jamie Smith, one of uh, our Calvin professors, did you ever have him as a professor? I didn't get to have him I know. Him as one, a of my, one of my biggest regrets about <laughs> Calvin is not having Jamie Smith as a professor. We should go back and just audit a class. Yeah, I would love that. But, you know, he, he starts talking about the importance of, of that heart aspect. And one of the things, and this is one of my favorite books of all time, it's called Desiring the Kingdom. You should definitely go read it. It's thick, but it is really good. And one of the things he got me realizing is that all day, when we're in work, whether we're watching TV, what we're talking about with people, how we're eating, who we're eating with, driving to work, the ads we see in here, going to a sports game, going to the mall to buy something, everything we're doing with our bodies is shaping us. And what's scary is sometimes how we're not even aware that these things are shaping us. So take shopping at the mall as an example. Um, and again, I'm not against shopping at the mall, but one of the things Jamie Smith does is he sort of breaks down the ways that the mall shapes us. So you enter into this space, right? And for the average mall, the horizontal is completely blocked off. The only direction out is like the vertical, right? And you're surrounded by all these stores, there's all these other people, and there's advertisements all around, right? With pictures of the good life, the newest thing, the idea of, if you buy this thing, then your life will be good. Now, that's not just speaking to your mind, right? That's speaking down to a core desire. That's speaking to you at a different level. And then you go and you purchase that thing. You gain that thing in a nice bag. You get to walk around and show off what you bought. <laughs> um, you're engaging kind of with other people in this process. Um, there's, there's a whole experience to it that shapes your desires, that shapes who you want to be. And as part of the process, it's telling you here is who who you should be mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the point of advertising right it's telling you here's who you should be or here's who you really want to be and then when we participate in that it shapes us for good or for bad it is it is doing something to you when you buy something when you participate in anything it is going to shape you in some way and so I think there's a call then to say consider how the things you are doing are shaping you the ways you talk with people, the ways you talk about people, the type of work you do, how you do your work, um, even something like the shows that you watch, the move, the music you listen to. Th there's no way to listen to something or watch something and, and, and not be shaped by it. Everything is shaping us. And so there's kind of an invitation to an awareness of do we know how things are shaping us, the fact that they are, and then can we, and this is the invitation of spiritual disciplines, set aside some specific time and some specific practices where we say, I want to become more like this. I want to grow closer to God. I want to be a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother. Um, I want to be a better servant. I want to love people more. I want to have more compassion. Um, I want to hear from God and know God's will. It's like, in order to get there, we're not going to be able to do it just by reading a book. 
Like, we're not going to be able to do it just by having the, what, you know, in church it's just called orthodoxy, right? Just because I believe the right things doesn't mean you're actually going to become a more compassionate, empathetic, Christ-like person. Because if you're thinking about God and you're, okay, I say a two-minute prayer before I eat, I go to church on Sunday and hear a sermon, here's the hard thing. The rest of the week, the world is not shaping you in the same way that you actually desire to be shaped. Mm. Does that kind of make sense? It's like, it's, that, that's not enough to really shape you. Just having it in your mind isn't going to, in a sense, counteract all the other engagements. Because I can tell you when you're driving down the road and you see billboard after billboard after billboard, it's like those things are giving you a, a mind. And when we then engage them and buy them and try to become them, that's shaping us at an even deeper level. And so a spiritual discipline is then to say, well, I'm going to intentionally partake in some practices that are going to shape me to become Christ. Not just thinking about Jesus, not just learning more about scripture, but actually participating mm. in a way that is going to shape me because we're participating in things all the rest of the days that are shaping us. So we need to be intentional about how we do it. Right, right. I think that makes me think of a couple of interesting stories that we've both really enjoyed about people who have done that, who have decided to go out and live a particular way and see what would happen. Now, the two stories that we really have enjoyed, both are reporters who <coughs> decided to go and live out different circumstances to then report on them and do a kind of journalistic experience that other people can share and learn through. So one of our first that we encountered in our, our favorites is A.J. Jacobs. Yes. And he writes a really fantastic book, totally worth reading. Yeah, I think it's called The Year of Living Biblically. Yes. I believe in the on the cover he's wearing some sort of a sheepskin <laughs> sackcloth deal walking like down Moses, the street think, with a, yeah. with a um, staff in his hands. So he, um, not a Christian believer, so background information. You're, he's by not, his own admission. <laughs> by his own admission, he is not of the same faith. And yet he decides that wouldn't it be interesting if he tried to live the Bible biblically literally for a year and he writes about all his experiences he goes to rabbis he's trying to learn from <laughs> rabbis and pastors but the big thing oh, did you want well to just it leads to some ridiculous circumstances right oh yeah Where, like you know stoning adulterers and he could only wear you know clothing made of one type of fiber and so in some ways it was a little ridiculous which he, he knows right um but in some really serious ways he came to some amazing conclusions right so one of the things he found is that in the Jewish tradition, there was a giving thanks for everything, a practicing gratitude. And so after coming across that in the scriptures and then being guided by some different rabbis and pastors, he decides that he's going to start praying thanks to God for different things he does yep. or comes across. Now, mind you, he admits in his book he is not actually believing in a God while he's doing this, but he's still going through the yep. routine, the habit, the practice of doing this Thanksgiving. And by the end, what he comes to conclude is that even though he didn't believe in what he was saying, the very act of thanking God for everything made him a more grateful person. Mm -hmm. And he says by the end of his story, he now has a gratitude for life that he never had before. Like I remember in a speech, he was walking up on stage and he's like, I feel now more thankful that I didn't trip when I was coming up the stage. <laughs> gratitude for the opportunity, gratitude for getting there safely. It was like his mind had been reoriented by doing this practice over and over and over every day for a year 
gratitude became an automatic part of his life. Right. Now, I would caveat and say, I think the gratitude to God and the belief in Christ as Lord and Savior is an integral part. Oh, absolutely. And that shapes you in deeper ways. what would make it more. Right, exactly. And so I thought to myself when I'm reading this, you you see things and you think, wow, if a non-believer becomes shaped and grows into a deeper person from the act of doing this, even without the belief in it, what more can God do to transform our lives when we believe in him and take those actions? And how much could we be missing out on because we have the belief in God, but unlike A.J. Jacobs, we don't go and practice it. Mm. And there's that dichotomy. So you've got non-believer practicing grows as a person, believer thinking God can absolutely work through that, but what growth opportunities do we miss out on? Absolutely. Because we aren't. So again, fantastic book. Totally recommend it. It's comical. It's it's fun to read. It's a thinker. Well, Jesse Itzler was the other one. Yes, he, he, he was. He just is interesting. Yes, so Jesse Itzler. Living with the monks. Right? Living with the monks. He decided that wouldn't it be fun if he were to go and live with monks and learn some religious stuff. So he signs up through recommendation for his friend to go live in a monastery for two weeks. And he thinks he's going to a Buddhist monastery. He really didn't do his background <laughs> research. So he was a bit shocked when he ends Shaved up at, his head <laughs> he is a bit shocked when he ends up at a Christian monastery in upstate New York in the middle of nowhere. And so he again in his book proclaims he's not a Christian. He's not of that faith tradition. But when he gets there, he's looking for a radical spiritual transformation. And he's so psyched. This, the monks are going to give this to him. So he gets there and he finds that at first he is incredibly frustrated, almost irritated, because they aren't training him spiritually. <laughs> and what's happening instead is they are living their lives. So they are eating, they're training their dogs, they're cleaning, they're doing the dishes, and they put him to work alongside them. And then they spend, he has to spend hours a day alone in his room in silence because that's mm-hmm. what the other monks are doing. And he found it very difficult. Um, again, comical read to, to just hear his thoughts, but relatable because I think if I were put in a room alone for two hours, I might actually sleep. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> if I was well rested, you would start to wonder what to do with yourself. And what he comes to conclude is that he's, his big takeaway is, and this is a quote from his book, he says, I've learned that spiritual time doesn't have to be carved out. I can explore the spiritual life when I'm doing mundane, trivial work. Every task is important. Every moment has purpose. Now, Jesse's conclusion, we think, is a little off as far as what we can take away because we would argue that it was living with the monks, their daily practices and mundane tasks were made to be transformed because of the time they spent doing spiritual disciplines, which he talks about in other parts of the books. So because the monks spent time doing spiritual disciplines, the practice of of solitude and silence, they spent time obviously in the worship and community um, and service, but because their life had those cornerstones built into it, the way that they approach the ordinary tasks that we all have to do, chores, caring for things, doing your work, 
became transformed. And that was what Jesse Itzler saw and experienced when he joined them is the transformation of that ordinary everyday work into something really special and meaningful because of that time spent in discipline. Right. Well, and they were doing everything with awareness. I mean, that's the thing. Like washing dishes to them wasn't just washing dishes. It was an opportunity to intentionally practice gratitude. It was an opportunity to intentionally listen to God. It was an opportunity where they were serving their brothers. You know what I mean? And so their intentional practices were like bleeding over into everything that they were doing so that they were engaged in nonstop ways mm. that were shaping who they wanted to be. Now, of course, for us, that's maybe a long-term goal, right? Where when we're even doing dishes, we're being shaped uh, into the image of God. But really, it it centers around, for me, the, the main takeaway was that intentionality. That intentionality mm-hmm. of saying we're not going to waste anything mm-hmm. that is going to shape us in a way we don't desire to be shaped in. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's where Jesse Itzler, I think, that quote, while again, while we... While we think something's missing, there's something so true in it that, yeah, because they were engaged in practices all day where they intentionally said, we will not let any time go by where we are being shaped in a way further from God. We are going to make sure everything shapes us into who God desires us to be. And I mean, God even knew this from the beginning, right? I mean, this is why he built in the festivals for the people, an actual practice for them to remember what God had done and celebrate who he is. The like Sabbath. Like Passover. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that <laughs> no, too. Yeah. no, like Passover, Sukkot, Tabernacles, you know, this idea of, hey, they're going to live outside in a tent for a few days to remember God's provision for them. Um, you know, God says to take a Sabbath to remember not only his creation, but remember that you're not God, to wear seat seat, you know, the little ends of the prayer shawl and the phylacteries, the, the pra- yeah, the tassels, the prayer boxes. Um, all of these physical things. I mean, Jesus teaches how to pray, right? Fasting, all the spiritual disciplines then become those intentional practices where we say we are going, we, this is going to shape us to be who we want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was reading a book called sitting at the feet of rabbi Jesus, and it's a fantastic book. If you ever want to picture the life that Jesus was in the midst of mm-hmm. and what the culture was at the time, great book for that. And they talk about, you know, that's that's why God gave commandments, right? He gives the Ten Commandments, the how to live your life, do these practices, don't do these practices, and that's going to set you apart as my people. And one of the things that I appreciated is they talked about how the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, um, we typically, when we translate our scripture to English, we will use the words commandments and laws mm-hmm. to describe how God teaches us to live. And a lot of times, I think that's where we've heard arguments against Christianity. People saying, well, I don't want to follow that guy. It's I don't want to follow Jesus. The point of what they're about. Right, because they say, well, he gives you a lot of stuff to do, and I don't want all that pressure. I don't want those rules in my life. And we see it as a, you know, commandments and laws are a bit on the negative side, really, culturally speaking. So they talk about how really a better translation, instead of calling it commandments and laws, we'd be better off, more accurate, translating it as teachings and instructions. So almost like the 10 instructions for your life instead of a command do this or else it's really here's how you could live your life to be set apart to be different to have joy and abundance and find me 
Well, not to make it negotiable, but to say this is the true way to life. If you are going to live in this way, here's the invitation to say, I know the world's very confusing and I know that we're trapped in sin, but here's an invitation to a true way of life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And they were very different at the time when the Israelites received the Ten Commandments and received all of the instructions from God that are found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Those those teachings and instructions really set them apart drastically from the culture. They weren't necessarily easy. They were going mm. to be in the face of what was around them and show that those people were living differently. But God knew that it would shape their hearts, their souls, their minds to come to know him better. Exactly. And that's the whole hope. I mean, that's the whole hope of scripture is God revealing God's self to us and how to better know him and how to better know ourselves and then how we can go about doing that. And so for us, we really want to dive into spiritual disciplines. I mean, whatever other studies we do, I mean, I have one planned on Elisha. We've talked about all kinds of stuff we're really excited about. There's always going to kind of be this thread of how do we practice and live this out? Because we want to equip our minds. We love learning. But how do we really work out the actual spiritual disciplines from silence and solitude to meditation and prayer and fasting Mm -hmm. and celebration and service and more? How do we actually do that stuff and then that'll be our invitation to come alongside as we are not perfect either this is a journey for us too Mm -hmm. um something that we love but something we are growing in and so there's then an invitation to come alongside us as we journey in this in a community to kind of learn these things absolutely and i think that's part of the really the key that you just mentioned there is we're all coming together to learn this together and it's a piece of the church that we've noticed has been missing really i think we could would it be safe to say since the enlightenment would that be when it's in many ways all the way back to constantine but that's another story for another time all right we'll have to tap into that because i'd be curious it's always been a thing yeah okay always been yeah okay so i'm not i'm not wrong (laughs) no i'm just (laughs) i'm just we could go back further um that may be exacerbated it (laughs) (laughs) okay it just sped it up um but that's something that we've noticed has been lacking as far as what we've experienced and we've gone to some fantastic churches We've attended a wonderful college and university, your seminary. Um, But there's, in the general church, there's a lack of teaching of how to live things out. And I'm not saying that you don't get great teaching from your pastors and from online ministries and people that you've heard speak. And those are great. Because those are... We are. We love those too. (laughs) We do. And we're in full support of a a lot of what what we've... grown through as well from them so but really the sense that the one piece that our churches just aren't equipping us for is how do we live this out to capture our heart and our soul for jesus I, i think that's really where it boils down to absolutely and so i guess for us to wrap up then our invitation would be to go on this journey with us as we dive into all these spiritual disciplines, as we explore them over many episodes, videos, blogs, podcasts, and dive into it. But even for this very moment, whether you're sitting in your car on the way to work or to somewhere else, or maybe you're doing laundry, maybe you're doing dishes, one of those kind of everyday mundane tasks, maybe you're working out, maybe you're going for a walk, whatever it might be, to take a moment and really consider how am I being shaped each day by the things I participate in? Mm -hmm. Because if nothing is neutral, everything is shaping us. Mm -hmm. And so to really start 
this or continue it. Maybe you're a prayer warrior and you've been practicing Lectio Divina and silence and all these things for many, many years. It can still sort of get lost that everything we're doing is shaping us. And so my invitation would be take a few minutes and start considering how are all the things I participate in shaping me? Mm -hmm. Are they shaping me in ways that are making me more of who I really know God made me to be? Mm-hmm. Growing? Are they growing you closer to... God and to Jesus. Exactly. And and how can you even more grow into those practices and maybe make space? Because again, this is making space for the ruah, for spirit, for your own breath. How can we make more space to be intentionally shaped into the people God made us to be? The beautiful, creative, loving, compassionate, joyous eternal people that God made us to be. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for joining us for another episode. And we will see you in the next episode of the Ruah Space Podcast. Please don't forget to uh, leave a review if you can. Uh, You can find us on every podcast site available. And then we are Ruah Space on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, possibly Pinterest coming up, I think, too. We're going to, yeah, we have some ideas coming down the tunnel. I'm not sure when those will come to pass, but you can keep an eye out for us there as well. And again, of course, our website is ruaspace.com and that's the main hub. Um, It can link you to everything that you might be interested in. Awesome. Well, brothers and sisters, grace and peace be with you.